Welcome to the Ag Emerge podcast, brought to you by Ag Solutions Network. Your farming challenges are unique, so your practices should be too. We're here to share emerging ideas, build connections, and provoke conversation. Get ready to improve your soil, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm your producer, Kim Chase. And I'm your host, Monty Bottens. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. Today we welcome Ben Mest, a third-generation grain and livestock farmer located in Stevenson County, Illinois, near the Wisconsin border, where he and his family own and operate a hog and cash crop operation. Ben is the president of High Plains Grains, which he operates with his brother Grant Mest and two other partners. They raise 100% non-GMO corn and non-GMO soybeans, along with small grains including wheat, rye, and oats. They practice multi-species cover cropping on all of their acres annually and hope to begin the integration of livestock on the land sometime this year. Their primary focus in crop production is on soil conservation and building healthy, well-functioning soils that are improving over time. Family, communication, and legacy are all part of this exciting conversation where we hear how they're all working together in the operation and bringing their specific skills and talents together to create a well-oiled machine. In addition, we learn a lot about the mindset of building communication, fine-tuning management opportunities, and ultimately growing a business that utilizes and encourages new ideas. This conversation with Ben is so encouraging. The way his family approaches change and how they work together to communicate their individual desires and goals is just exciting. And communication is really a big part of this equation. Recognizing that there are different ways for different types of operations to implement practices and build resiliency in today's agriculture is also exciting to hear. Ben believes farming production models of the future will be much more diverse and sustainable than they are today. And he's most excited about doing his part to help design, develop, test, and implement those models right on his own farm. Ben says healthy people come from healthy ecosystems, and healthy ecosystems start with healthy soils. It's a great conversation, so let's jump right in. Welcome to this edition of the Ag Emerge podcast. I'm really excited. We have a first today. We are joined live in studio with Ben Mess. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Well, great. Well, Ben's down here because when we're recording today, it's been the coldest day of the year so far. Uh, it's still not above zero, and we're in the middle of the day. Uh, so he escaped the cold, I escaped the cold, and, and we decided to be in here recording. So thanks for coming down. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate the offer to come out. <laughs> well, Ben, tell us a little bit about you, your farm, where you're located, the crops you grow, a little bit of your, your family story. Yeah, so um, I'm from uh, Lena, Illinois area, and uh, so it's just, just south of uh, the Wisconsin border a little bit, northwest Illinois. Currently live on and grew up on a, a family uh, hog operation mainly. Uh, my dad started a, uh, I, I would be third generation technically now, um, but uh, basically a hog operation since the early 80s. Um, it's a confinement operation. We, uh, for years, we were fair to finish hogs, everything. Um, my dad started it with my grandpa and they grew it over a number of decades there. And um, just over the last couple of years, actually, we switched that business up. We're no longer uh, finishing pigs and we just, uh, Farrow out of our sow units and, and sell wean pigs. Um, and so that's kind of where we're there. And then uh, we've 
through that whole process of the years head of grain operation, you know, as most livestock producers do, they raise crops to try and feed their livestock. And, um, so had a grain operation for years and, uh, that's kind of my involvement in it today is on the grain operation side of it. And, uh, it's still a family run operation. I'm the youngest of four kids. I got an older brother and then I got two older sisters and three out of the four of us are involved in the farm. Um, me and my brother mainly focused on the grain side of the operation. Then my sister, um, has a main focus on the still running the sow units um, with my dad on the hog side of things. And then my oldest sister, it's funny enough, she's the only one not involved in the operation, but she actually now lives in the farmhouse on the operation. Um, and, uh, so she's still very much there and, and in, in a way involved without being in the day-to-day operation. So isn't that how farming works? You just can't get away from it. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. (laughs) Um, but yeah, no, they, they moved on to the farm there recently and, uh, that was good to see. So yeah, um, still very much family run and operated and all that stuff, but, uh, so you've just gone through a family transition, really? Yeah, right. Yeah, you were so telling about dad moving to town and didn't know how that'd work, and yeah. So dad, um, my parents moved off the farm this past year, and then, like I said, my sister and her husband and family moved in um, on the farm, and and then on the business side of things, what we kind of worked out this year was we we broke apart the the hog business, where you know for years it's just it's one hog business, you know, it's it's technically multiple businesses within, you know, we had a trucking division and then, and then a grains division, so to speak. And so what we did was broke that out. So now my brother and I run, uh, the grain portion of the business as a separate entity. It's called, uh, high plains grains is the entity there. And then high plains pork is the, the pork business. And basically run it as two separate shows, but, but not separate show. It's, it's a weird thing, but Mm -hmm. the main reason with that was in the transition part of this thing was we were trying to get a, a setup that, could, could help us grow that next generation. Like the next generation can take over and figure out a new path for the farm, you know, kind of family legacy type deal. And so we did that. And then also the the trucking division got broke out. My brother runs a, uh, equipment hauling and kind of a mix of stuff, um, trucking business as well. So, so really making sure every enterprise can stand on its own right, and, and be profitable on its own because, you know, I think one of we've, we've had a chance to, uh, Ben came down yesterday. We, we brainstormed all day long at the farm and, and, uh, we didn't do much, uh, soil, uh, digging because the ground was a little hard, yeah, yeah. A little hard. <laughs> but, uh, we've been brainstorming a little bit and you were telling me that, you know, sometimes when you're running cost of production, it's like, well, especially in negative commodity years, it's like, we're better off buying corn versus, you know, feeding our own corn because of the cost structure. Mm-hmm. So that's making you a little more accountable by taking those cropping operations and livestock operations and, and separating it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Cause that's, that's kind of was my angle coming into the farm. I, I, uh, to give it background, uh, I graduated college from university of Wisconsin Platteville in 2018. And I went uh, directly out of school to work in Chicago for, a. uh, dairy risk management company. I'm a, you know, got my series three license and the whole bit and was a broker for a little bit and also do insurance, um, through that. And, uh, so I was coming from the, the, the ultimate goal with that endeavor was, I, I was thinking about coming back to the farm. Eventually I didn't know when, but I said my niche would be on the finance or the risk management side of it. This is how my brain centered around that type of thing. And so 
I came back earlier than I expected after only a year and a half in Chicago, not because I didn't like Chicago or anything. It was, uh, we, uh, <laughs> dipped our toe in the waters of the, uh, the hemp industry in 2019. And my brother and I kind of spearheaded a project together. And, uh, that's what brought me back sooner than I was expecting. And I said, well, now I'm here, I'm not going to leave again. And so, um, the financial side of the business is my focus. And I was looking at that. I started, I, the grains have always played second fiddle, if you will, to hogs, you know, your family operation, dad's been the main manager for every, you can only manage so much. So grains have always just kind of taken a backseat. You know, we, you just generally track costs, things like that. But, you know, I'm a very, uh, you know, very anal with numbers and stuff. I like spreadsheets. And so I just started digging on that side. Just a lot of waste. And, you know, like you talked about, talked to the accountant, I looked at cost of production over several years. I'm like, we could have just bought this cheaper. Like that would have been more, more margin for the hogs. Like what are, what are we doing here? And, and for a little more background too, you guys had gotten into a continuous corn. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We were just all corn long, long period because you had to have the bushels yep. to feed the hogs and you were buying more corn in above and beyond what yep. you were raising to feed the hogs. So, you know, that had gotten you to where being in a continuous corn maybe wasn't the most yield or profitable type scenario because it added inputs yeah, and stuff. So absolutely. basically what you, you determined is, Hey, we'd be better or you and your family came to the uh, determination that you'd be better to get to a rotation in order to improve the profitability of the farm. Mm -hmm. You know, you might have to buy more corn in, but you know, that, that, like you said, you change from feeders to, to wieners essentially. Yeah. And, um, but in that period of time, it was just using that concept to let's grow our crops as most profitable and, and then allow our hogs to be as profitable. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause it was, it was one of those things. It's the, the hogs had to carry a lot of overhead and excess costs that had nothing to do with raising a pig, really, to be honest, mm -hmm. it was very indirect costs that it was just covering for years as overhead, you know, and it's, mm -hmm. you really start to dig in and you realize, okay, there's, there's some serious things weighing down profitability here that has nothing to do with the, you know, how efficiently we're producing pounds of pork or, you know, all those other metrics right. that go into it. Right. And so I was like, you know, I, I talking with, uh, you know, we brought a, my brother and I brought a couple outside family partners in and a small stake and get new perspective on the business. And we just kind of brainstormed that idea, you know, let's, let's break these entities up, stand them on their own and kind of run them as their own shows. And I think, you know, that the, the theory there is to run them as their own shows and make the the greater pie stronger or better you know the, the whole family operation you know it's mm -hmm. yes they're two businesses but they're still we still see each other every day on the same site you know so it's mm -hmm. it's still as if it's one business but just from a on the actual dollar side and the you know that so side is better that's kind of unique what you're talking about you brought in some people that are outside the family right so mm -hmm. it, that's very unique uh most family we're all family farms right and we we just know what we know really within our own family or maybe with friends and neighbors. So there's, we really get kind of inwardly looking and myopic in our view of farming. You brought in these people that are really outside of, of production agriculture to be a part of the farm. Talk about that. What was that like making that decision to do that? What was it, what's it been like having them and, and having a different perspective and, and how could that benefit other farmers to consider something like that? Maybe not, in an equity position, but just in an advisory position. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess a, I would backtrack, um, a little bit before I go that what, what kind of with the idea of why we even thought to bring somebody outside. So mm -hmm. dad growing up always made, uh, we were never the, the kids growing up on the family farms. I know kids are typically viewed as free labor on a lot of family operations. 
thankfully my dad never, or my mom, dad, we were never viewed that way. So we weren't forced to work. Like we, uh, my sisters and stuff worked very consistently through, but they were always paid as normal employees and things like that. And, um, we weren't allowed to work on the farm in summers, like through college. Dad always wanted go get a job somewhere else. That was his thing. He always wanted to go get a job somewhere else. New perspective. Okay. When I was young, I didn't understand. I said, okay. I mean, I wasn't crazy about working all day in the hog farm anyway. So I was like, okay, I'll get a job somewhere else. So like through college, I had a uh, two summers. I worked concrete on a flat work crew and uh, just kind of worked on a dairy farm one summer and things like that. And so the the idea of new perspectives, and I really enjoyed those experiences because you you find out what it's like to work for another manager. That's not your dad, you know, that mm-hmm. does things differently. You know, sometimes it's, it was a lot better and sometimes it was, Oh, okay. Well now I appreciate kind of some of the things is going on in my, my world because it not worse. I don't mean to say it in a bad way, but it's just different at the end of the day. And so you just see different perspectives on things. And there's a lot of value in that. I think I learned a lot of when I reflect on things, learned a lot of good things just from jobs that had nothing to do with ag, mm-hmm. just people and hard work, you know, things like that. I mean, there was a lot to learn in concrete. It was the weirdest thing, like the hardest physical demanding job on you. And it's you basically at the end of the day, you feel so proud because you have something to look at. It's, right. it's a physical structure and it seems so simple. And you better have something to look at at the end of the day. Yeah. Otherwise for it's what sad. you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. And like, so it's just little things like that was, is cool and get lessons. Mm-hmm. And so just that it put me into that mindset of being more open to, to new perspectives. And then, so it just kind of years go by then. And then now I'm back to the operation. And I mentioned earlier, the 2019 hemp endeavor we did. So mm-hmm. the two partners we brought in on the grain operation, we, we bled it out in the trenches together in the year of 2019 um, hemp production. Uh, they, they had a harvest company um, that was, they started just to harvest hemp and we were on the production side as the farmer. And that's how we came together. They, they came to us with the harvesting opportunity and they had this special baler and the whole bit. Well, they ended up needing our help a lot more to, to carry this through for the other customers they had. Cause we had the farming, you know, expertise and bringing so, pairing together. Were you growing the hemp for them then too? Or you were just helping them with the harvest of Har- helping with the harvest. Yeah, okay. they were. We paid so them to not, harvest. You, you weren't able to re- retire independently wealthy in one year like everybody else in the hemp industry. <sighs> no, I. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we must have been the, in the hemp industry. Yeah, did. we must have just been that lucky one person that didn't make anything because yeah, it was <laughs> that was the time to be in there. But yeah, right, <laughs> right. Um, but no, it was good. We did a lot of really unique and I think kind of first time things mm-hmm. in the hemp space. Like we. Um, first time or close to, you know, kind of more innovative things. Like we, we mechanically planted it, you know, going into that season, it was said hand plants or was that seed plants seed by seed. Okay. Cause I'm a row crop farmer from the Midwest. Sure. I saw all the buzz was being made out West in dry land country where they got transplants and drip tape and that whole bit. And they said, right. this is how you raise hemp. I said, I was like, what? we're That's used to scale work. and yeah. we're used to, we're used to modern tools like can't plant 500 acres a day that way yeah and it's it's one of those things i just said that's that ain't gonna happen i was like that's i'm a real crop farmer from the midwest so me and my brother just said we can mechanize at least a large portion of this oh, mm-hmm. make no mistake we were out there every day in the summer hand hoeing weeds once this crop was growing because it was an organic raised crop yeah. so 60 acres was probably a little bit too much for that portion i'll say but um really though it was just a um it was a good experience with those partners I mentioned, like we just, that was just a rough fall. And there was so much to figure out because we ended up 
harvesting on that end, they used a Shelbourne Reynolds head. And we we figured out a way to tune one of those up to, it didn't do a perfect job stripping the plants, but it it did a very, it showed very much a promise. For and the hemp you concept. were growing was for CBD. Yep, it so was feminized the, hemp for CBD production. So the stripper header would have been removing buds and buds leaves. Buds and leaves. Yeah, which is and some seed, branch material. Yeah, but the buds and leaves are where the CBDs at, right? Right. Because so when you were looking at kind of stocks on it like that, right? And CBDs sold on a percentage of volume type mm-hmm. basis, you go, mm-hmm. we knew going into because we're used to like when settling corn and stuff like that, and you get dockages and stuff, and you just understand things work on percentages. We said, we're going to dilute this so much, even if we right. put a, right. Cause with, with CBD hemp is it's all about flower to stem ratio. You need mm-hmm. a, a much higher ratio of, of biomass in the flowers relative to the stem. Well, stuff we were growing had, we did wide centers and things like that. So it was huge yeah, stocks. Yeah. yeah. That was just too much weight. How to, in the world did you get that through a shellboard stripper? I mean, with those big, so there was like some R and D over how did that? Yeah. So it, you we went, went two ways. How tall was your hand? It, it eight was foot eight foot, tall, right? Eight foot. I got pictures. I'm six, four and I got pictures. It's three, four feet taller than me. Holy smokes. And uh, yeah, we had to go two ways. We, we went one direction and then come back and the other to get the other half. The other way. Yeah. Cause they're, I mean, those hemp plants, you weren't you ever been out in the field and seen oh, them. It's yeah. yeah. You, know, you ever try to pull one? It's you, you might as well get a shovel off because you ain't going to pull it by hand. Back home. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no kidding. So it feels like that, but um, yeah. So we, we did that. We harvested both ways and you know, it didn't do perfect you know, um, but it, it, it did very well, much better than like just going with an Orbis head and a full chop because we did a lot of Orbis head chopping. We did compare biomass or hand harvesting and hand I mean, harvesting. How many people were doing hand harvesting? I mean, yeah, there well, was we did 60 acres that the only way we decided to do 60 acres was we said, we, we have to have other things in place. That was the mechanized planting mechanized harvest. And then we had a drying system also that we bought and installed because we said, we don't have a, uh, SoFi stadium on reserve to go hang up literally like only five acres would probably fit in that because we helped the year before another guy do it by hand and man he had this dairy farm and we helped hang up all these plants and it was only like a few acres of plants and every last building on that guy's farm was stuffed to the gills of with plants and trying to dry stuff out and we're just like this isn't from a food, yeah. from a consumer standpoint too, you're like, that's tough too. Was um, it hanging in the freestall barns with the cows? Or? No, no, the, okay, he was good. retired. He was oh, retired. Okay. So he just had buildings. <laughs> um, yeah, I forgot to mention That'd that. Be dairy cows are, CBD. Yeah. Got cows are munching on the, <laughs> on the buds as they're milk. going to milk. That could have been something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least cows would be nice and relaxed going to milk. I suppose <laughs> they may not, they may not be excited to go at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the harvesting technology that you use the Shelbourne, you get it. And then did that go directly into this baler then? Yeah. Or how did, or did it yeah, so, grow it? How did that work? Uh, we had wagons pulling it behind the, yeah, it's, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. It's nothing yeah. like that crazy, but um, yeah, just pulling regular uh, silage carts behind the chopper and, we'd haul back over to the farm and we had the baler. The baler was a stationary setup and it's got a big hopper bin with a conveyor in it. So you just back the wagon and drop the load. And we actually did a whole uh, webinar um, a couple summers ago for a local community college on it. Did a whole video on it. I'll have to send you that. Yeah. Well, if you send it to us, we'll put it in the show. Yeah, sure. But yeah, that was kind of encapsulated the whole, and then we narrated it through it. It'd be funny to see a Shelburne header on the front of a chopper. And believe me, there was some R and D that went into that. Uh, The first time we ran it, we made it, uh, we did it on some other guy's field and he just had a little patch. We made it 
one pass down and this is like a you know this might be a two acre patch and it, there was it looked like a jack-o'-lantern after one pass of so the teeth were gone i mean there was just sections you know on the cross that head gone we're like i don't know if this is gonna work but mm-hmm. made some adjustments to the machine that's where the magic's at is the adjustments in the machine sure. with the rotor and things like that and we some r&d teeth we put in there and some things like that and uh um finally made it go to where it was enough to where you said okay this is this has some weight so you got it chopped in silage wagons and you you put it in compressed bales that are wrapped and then you retired independently wealthy and and moved no. to cayman islands yeah no no okay then. i wish but <laughs> and today it's still sitting in those bales right yeah most of it is still sitting in those bales <laughs> we got some of it dried um because we you, had a whole what are the challenges with that industry do you see i mean there, the entire there was a lot of promises two years ago right people everybody planted it and we talked we were at a seminar i think probably the same seminar or something 100 100 farmers were there 50 raised their hands that they planted it and of the 53 people raised their hands that they had a contract to sell yeah and of those three probably all four of them yeah had their contract broken oh yeah so there was because that's the thing i told um you know in after the fact was people like why did you do it if you didn't have a contract i said i can't tell you how many people i knew had contracts in this industry it didn't matter they were they were only worth the word behind it because there's no like you said the problem with this industry is it's not an industry yet it's it's, there's a few people consuming relatively cbd that mm-hmm. takes a very small amount of acres to supply what's currently being consumed. Right. There's some regulatory stuff in the way of consumption increasing, I think, but generally it, it kind of had that little fad, the CBD, and you don't know if it'll ever come back. Um, I think hemp will make a comeback because of sure. all the other applications of it, but right. the CBD portion don't really know, but basically a few people were making a lot of money in like one or two years drew this narrative of this industry that this, this untapped potential, but mm-hmm. 2019 everybody thought they were getting in on something on the ground floor so to speak and that the ship had already sailed we found right. that out too right but you know you tried and yeah you do things um there you go but so the the benefit out of all that was great experience but yeah the partnership yeah that you made right the two coming back to that that's, that that's point. where all this all came right I mean, so sometimes so... and i think farmers have to look at that or, or business people too Sometimes, you know, things that you're doing today may not pan out, but it connects you to people or, or gives you a new perspective on something that that does work out well yeah. going forward. Because what that experience really did was just laid a, a foundation of trust. And we really built a good relationship with those two. Um, and, and, you know, after the fact, we we were still like kind of because we're all from a small town. So we all know each other. You know, mm-hmm. we all live close by. And so we're still seeing each other and doing other business activities. And then we kind of just got, we're like, you know, they threw out the idea, well, what if we came on with you guys on the farm in some, some fashion and me and my brother kicked around and talked with dad and, and mom and all these things. And we said, you know, yeah, I think it would be worth it. Cause just what they bring to the table from, from their life experiences, the other businesses they've run and some of the directions we want to take our farm in the future. I think there's, there's things there that are mutually beneficial that can work. And so basically that experience, we, we built trust with each other and we just, you know, got to really know each other. You know, you do a bunch of days when you're making these promises, I'm going to efficiently and professionally harvest your hemp. And, and then we look at each other and we're, we're trying to figure out how to get this header dialed in. And, you know, and you, when you go through an experience like that with somebody and, and then it works out and you, you figure it out together type of deal. And, and it's just, you build a lot of trust. And, and so that's kind of how that came about. And then, so now it's just, okay, they're on with us on the farm. Mm-hmm. They're bringing in that advisory new perspective and help us try and guide into the, the next generation here where we're trying to go. We'll talk a little bit about that. We're taking a short break to share that the Ag Emerge podcast is brought to you by the team at Ag Solutions Network. 
Rooted in innovation, ASN is committed to leaving the land better than we found it, not simply maintaining it. We're here to help you navigate the balancing act of productivity and building a legacy. From practices to products, ASN is more than a new jug. It's a new way of thinking. So don't be afraid to be different. Be afraid to be the same. Contact Ag Solutions Network today at asn.farm. And now back to our show. Where where do you guys, we have an idea where you're at today with the, the corn, soybean rotation, grain operation, the um, two or three sow units that mm-hmm. when you're raising feeder pigs to, mm-hmm. to sell feeders into the market. What does the fuser look like for you and your family? And, and where do you want to head? And, and how does this, this crazy regenerative soil health movement factor into all that? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it, it, depending on the 10 minute period of the day you ask me, I could give you a, a completely different answer on where, where we're headed or whatever. But, um, you know, it's, uh, I would say on the hog side, something like my sister and I have talked about is just, so like we're, we're a confinement operation, right. And it's, you know, confinements are the, you know, in the eyes of the media and public or just, you know, they're not, they're looked at as like an evil of sorts. And, you know, even though that's how the food is made in the country. Right. And, and I don't think people have uh, had the opportunity in a day like today, if you had a sow in the pasture in a, in a modified a building, um, her could be um, snowed in mm-hmm. uh, and not able to get the food and water and she'll eat her pigs. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't know that. Or she gets up and lays down on her pigs. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, that's the, what we came from before yeah, uh, that's the thing people the, forget about confinement is we didn't just come up with this idea in a vacuum. There was, and it wasn't there was reasons that thinking, drove that. It wasn't us farmers thinking that, oh, well, let's be evil and put them in a crate. It's like, no, we're trying to protect the piglets from getting killed by the mother. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. And so there was there was humane aspects to, yeah. to what we're doing. So, I mean. But that's uh, not also to say that it's all perfect too you know yeah, like, it's not all rain i agree with i agree with a lot of people who it's have at least it's uh what is it the the best worst thing we've got yeah right now yeah pretty much that's a good way of putting it and um you know but but i think though on that side of things is it in our unique position in terms of like so how the whole regenerative piece wrinkles in this is is a, a couple years ago um dad brought back a book from a conference and it was one of Gabe, it was gabe's book and um I picked it up and just started reading it. And it's for me, it was like, yeah, I admit it. You said uh, you liked the the cover of the book. You said, it, yeah, it caught he had, your eye. yeah, yeah. He had, <laughs> he brought back from a conference, Montgomery's book and, and Gabe's book. They were See, both just sitting here, there. We got Montgomery's yes. here. You these know, two books were in the studio. These two and, books. And you look, Gabe's is blue and green yep. and pretty and cow. I saw and the cows on the front. And then here, David, you're, you're just desolate. Yeah. You know? We're going to have to tell Dave, now his, his new books are a little, little nicer yeah. growing a revolution. That's, yep. a, that's a pretty one. So yep. you know, uh, David picked up on that too, I think. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Cause that was, it was just sitting there and I just, I don't know. I just started reading it and got 20 pages in us. So, you know, just that you're confronted with something you've never been confronted with. And I said, Oh, this is interesting. I just, you know, kind of sparked that weird gut feeling. I said, I really think this is kind of a, you know, without knowing anything about it, I said, I, I just, this kind of feels like a good direction to be heading, you know, and then that opened up for me personally, just a whole journey I've been on. I just, I've been gone to, you know, like I went to one of Gabe's academies shortly thereafter and met a lot of the soil health, uh, the, those guys. And, and did they have the pink Kool-Aid there or the, pink <laughs> you know, all of them, they, they all, all they them. make us drink all the, Kool-Aid. yeah, yeah. Okay. right. Exactly. <laughs> and, um, but no, it was good. And, and, uh, the, with the, the regenerative piece and have been down that. So it's within the family operation, I would say 
my brother and I are by far the most passionate of the regenerative side. And that's so where, how did you get your brother? Sorry to interrupt, but how did you get your brother to, you know, pick up the book and, and hear these things too, and, and sister or everyone in the family to, to get an awareness of this so that you're not the, uh, the crazy, yeah the crazy prophet, you know, how Some do, days how I do am. you bring your family along with you? Yeah. Um, that's a, I'm still working on that. Um, okay. I would say that's fair. it's, uh, my brother was really no work. Uh, my brother's it's where he doesn't get too excited about things, but he's very open-minded yet. And like, when he sees something that makes sense to him, he's just kind of the type he goes, yeah, okay. And then that's pretty much the end of it. He doesn't want to go on about all the, like, I'm the more passionate type. I'll talk and really, I want to dig into the nuts and bolts. He's just kind of like, okay, big picture. I see it. That makes sense. And kind of go that way. So he's just been more in that mode throughout okay. this whole thing is I usually just tee him up with more info. Like, Hey, this is cool. You see this, or you read this, or okay. I read about that. And so that's always the relationship has been good there. Um, my sister who was involved in the operation. She read Gabe's book too. Cause I told her, I said, read this. Cause she's like the type that's like me. Um, you're, she read you're it saying and, your siblings listen to the little, little brother, the, the, it depends you know, on the, the day the chosen one. Yeah, right? The little right. One. No, <laughs> um, no, it's, uh, she read it and she also got just as excited as I did, which wow. was really awesome. Cause like, I was like one of those things I was like, I was, a little timid, you know, in family, mm-hmm. sure. excited about something. Absolutely. And uh, she had some passion about it too. And so she's very much on board. And, and then even with dad, I mean, dad doesn't read those things or watch the videos or much of that. He, he does like on his own time. He doesn't really mm-hmm. talk to me about it though. He just kind of has his own process with things. And he's kind of the same, similar to my brother. He's just, he's always been open enough to do to these type of new ideas mm-hmm. to allow them to happen on his ground and not get in the way of it. But then also, but then he's still not at the same time on the shouting the horn of, you know, seed all the covers you can and get all the animals back out there. He's still very much a, got conventional principles mm-hmm. to him, but it's, it's, it's very odd though. Cause I don't know how to, some days don't know how to handle it. Cause I, I can't tell if he's in like really conventional mode that day or he's like oh yeah actually that makes sense day you know and it's just depends on the day but generally speaking he's he's been mostly open to it um hmm. in a in a fashion that allows it to happen so in a lot of families that's that's pretty rare that's a huge right? thing you, you know, can't get over to that have everybody to get because there's always different personality types different goals those kind of things how would you say for other family operations that are listening to this podcast today what would you encourage to help you know maybe brothers or sisters or cousins, family members, aunts, uncles, whoever, that might be less receptive to, to exploring soil health type, regenerative type principles. Um, what, what, what do you think would be some good things suggest for them to, to try to share with family? I, you know, I, it's the kind of, give it to them. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I would just, I think that really honestly is like, I, I think on a lot of family operations, there's not a lot of time spent spent stopping and reflecting saying like do we want to do this yeah do like like stop and ask that the the members if it's a family-run operation a true one and it's like you know the whole family and everyone's got a a job of sorts you know you know i think it's good time to reflect every once in a while is hey are we are you you let's say you're my brother are you doing what you want to be doing you know what do you see in the next thing I, i think a lot of families don't ever stop to reflect and talk take that moment to breathe and say where are we going? You know, like time's gone by dad's getting older, you know, what's this, we, a lot of families. And that's how that, that generation, now the family farms fold and don't make that leap to that next generation. Like they all want to do is because they put all that off to the side till, till you have to deal with it. And that's, 
when the tire is blown out, it's not the time to fix it. the emotions involved. Correct. That's not the time to do it. Right. And um, so how have you made time? How has your family just kind of made that time to, to connect on that bigger than just here's today's to-do list. It, it got to the point um, where there was a lot of frustration. Like um, my, all my sister and my brother, we've all had our periods of like very frustrated because we were doing a tremendous amount of work, you know, putting, raising the hogs and things like this and saying, well, like it's just ain't going to cut it long-term. Like I, you know, I want to get in on ownership or things like that, you know? And, and so um, I think it's, how am I trying to put it? But it's, it's just, it's important for family members to, to talk about what they want as individuals and make sure that those goals are aligned, but then like, okay, you say that and then action on that after that, like, like actually get something set up. So like we said, we want to run the green business. We think we run separately. So we, we got it done. We just kept pushing Versus forward. Just talk Cause about I hit the point, and, me and, and my brother hit that point yeah. where we're like, my brother was like, well, I, I might just leave and start a trucking company. And you know, like, I don't want to work like what I'm working for the return I'm getting on, you know, just mm -hmm. enjoyment of life too. That's a huge part of it. Um, we feel so married to like, you have to do things the one way as if it's, you know, just cause you're farming differently doesn't mean you're still not farming and it's still not a family sure. operation. It's like, I think a lot of families get tied to like the legacy of like how you're farming too, which that's just kneecaps the next generation. Cause so the industries be, change. So you're saying the key thing is don't be afraid to have that conversation today Yes. before, you know, one, two, five years from now, it's like, I'm done. I'm walking. Everyone out. was I'm spent a job in town. I'm going to go. Everyone's stressed out. There's been so much right. long-term tension, not cleared. And you just get this Any, tired feeling. Is there anything that you guys do that kind of creates those moments to have those conversations? Do you guys get together for a lunch, breakfast, uh, you know, regular meetings or, or things that you do as a group or there's things I want to start developing. Um, but no, it's, it's very much ad hoc. It's, okay. it's yeah. It just, it's one of those but things. You just make a purpose. Of yeah bringing up some of those long-term things yeah. on a more than a once yeah. a year basis. Cause I'm the type of individual I can't sit in like quiet agony. Like I got to make it known. Like if I'm frustrated with something, I will make it known. And uh, so it's like, it's as individuals, and you got to push brothers the, and sisters. Like, Oh, boy, no, 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 no. I'm actually, <laughs> my brother would probably be the, the hothead of the group. Okay. Um, and uh, then I would be. So you help get the conversation started a close second. Yeah. And then, yeah. Um, oh, that's yeah. Good. They start and there's, there's plenty of days where we're well, I, I shouting that, and yelling at each other too. You know, don't be afraid to talk about what everybody wants and what you want also as a group to mm -hmm. accomplish, because you can't do it. You all have to have your individual goals, but you all have to uh, agree on what is the general direction yeah. you want to hit. Like if, if, if you as a family decide, Hey, we want to see another generation make mm -hmm. a run at this, make another 40 years, keep the family name going. Okay. If as a group, you decide that, then you need to, you need to put the things in place that make the individuals feel right. comfortable with that. Right. Cause I see all sorts of family arrangements and it's, you, know, you get in these weird situations where you got an 85 year old manager, owner, dad, he owns all the assets and doesn't hardly do much of the day-to-day -day ops anymore. And then it's, he's, it's still bossing, making the decisions. And then, you get these weird disconnects within the operation and then the operations can hurt because of that. Right. Uh, you know, just the profit and loss type of mm -hmm. thing. And, but then on top of that, the family structure too falls apart. Cause it's, you get these, some of these families where you got 50 or 60 year old, no equity still running all the day-to-day -day ops. And they're like, Oh, I just worked a whole career and I, I still don't own or anything. Yeah. Right. And so, just different with us. I don't, I don't know why we chose to make this a point of emphasis sooner. I just, right. I'm a, I'm an entrepreneurial 
spirited person. I, mm-hmm. I want ownership. That's like, I like to run, run my own type of thing. And so it's, maybe it's just psychology related to just personalities involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just important to, to do those things. But definitely, you know, small business owners, farmers that are listening today, definitely be intentional about it. Don't, yes. don't put it off, be intentional and, and make sure that that's part yeah. of the plan versus something. Don't leave those kind of things unsaid Yeah, because it can make, uh, it can make, uh, think, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, family get togethers, you know, awkward, very awkward, get, get her, get her, get it discussed and, and going on. And, you know, it was interesting. I was uh, talking with Dr. Joel Groover in one of his classes mm-hmm. and he just threw this, uh, you know, question out unprepared. He says, what do you think some of the success factors are for a family farm continuing on? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, okay, well, that's a, you know, that's a real easy question to answer here in a minute and a half, you know, but I you know one of the things I talked about is, is giving the younger generation operational decision-making capability, mm-hmm. you know, at an early age, because mm-hmm. there are too many 60 year old kids that when dad passes away, all of a sudden, they don't have a clue what to do. They've just been told what to do all their lives. They're, they're still, yeah. you know, teenagers in, in, you know, in business decisions. So, you know, doing that. And then, you know, the other thing I told them too, is that, you know, fair and equal aren't always the same thing mm-hmm. because when you have a family farm operation and there's multiple siblings involved, if you have people with outside farm income, if you just say, okay, we're going to divide those assets up when I die equally. Mm-hmm. Right. And you got, let's say two are on the farm and two are off farm. Well, now you've just, you've just, uh, you've just licensed the two that are on the farm to failure mm-hmm. because, you know, the off farm people are making their income. The assets are required to, to generate the, that income that's required to support two on farm. So, you know, uh, fair and equal aren't always the same. Right. And, uh, you know, that's something that has to be addressed. And I think you're doing that with your business unit approach and, and what you have going on there. So yeah, key discussions to have that is for sure. Yeah. And, the, and on that, um, we talk about with the, with the next generation is so much of it too, like beyond just, you know, a family agreeing on, okay, can we manage together, figure out an ownership structure that works together? Like industries change. And like the hog industry, like the our reality with no, the hog industry, no change in the hog industry at all. Dad, I don't know what yeah, you're talking about. Dad was on in the hogs, you know, before the confinement model took over. Yeah. And the confinement model, the the whole contract, put a barn up, contract finished for you know the, mm-hmm. the guy who has a sow farm down the road. That model worked great for about 30 years. And then it, it it's like markets do, they grow, they, they mature, they consolidate, and now uh, the, the hog industry is so consolidated. There's, it's just such a different industry. And dad right. tells me all the time, he goes, this is, it just goes back. I don't know what he says. This is so much different than it used to be. And he tells me that all the time because these last several years have been the most, he said it, his own words, the most challenging of his whole career. And he's trying to just be on the backside of it, you know, coasting on into where he wants to be comfortable. And mm-hmm. some of the most challenging years and, and for him, it's what's added so much stress is that it it's just different than what he's always been accustomed to dealing with. And I think it's so important at that point where you're trying to transition is having those younger people involved in the management. So they have to be thinking as a manager, how am I going to keep the lights on uh, the, the people paid? You know, I'm not, not viewing themselves as the owner, as opposed to a worker and being equipped because that's going to set them up to say, okay, well, I have to figure this industry we're a part of. What's the new direction is, are, can we do another 40 year run of confinement hogs? You know, the contract model like we've been doing, or has that run its course? Or do we got to figure something else out? Right. That's where we're at. We just said, at least I don't personally think with our current model, we could do another 40 years because 
uh, you know, the Packers own our margin. It's just a known thing in the hog industry. And so it's like, why play a game? You know, you're not going to win type of like idea. You were telling me too. It's like, and so I, what would I hear all the beef guys talking about the change in their yeah. industry and how the Packers are making all the margin. And so like, would it be fair of me? To the hog industry. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just, the beef guys, I, I do have empathy for them right now. Cause I know what that's like, but it's just like, you know, <laughs> just join the club. You know, the dairy guys are not far behind either. That's consolidating quickly too. Yeah. Um, but that, basically it's like, you know, how could I expect my dad, you know, he's got 40 years of a certain model experience, like to transform himself and figure a whole new way to run a business for, you know, to set us up. I don't think that's his responsibility per se. I think it's there it's there's responsibilities on both sides of that equation. It's not just the, the asset owner to say, okay, I, I will, I will do everything right. I'll get all the things set up. And then, so you guys have a nice, easy transition or p- clear path of right. where to go. I, I think that other, that, younger generation has to say, okay, I want to do this. A that's important. It's not just, I'm not obligated to do it. You have to have some passion involved and then be like, okay, well, what's, what's the vision then for the, for the business moving forward? Cause things change. You go 40 years, markets change. You, you might have to do a different thing. Right. And so that's, I think a big challenge for a lot of family farms is they want to say, I want to do another 40 year run with the next generation, but doing the same thing. And that's right. It's just unrealistic. Well, let's talk about some of the things that you've been doing a little bit different on the crop side. Um, might mention kind of where you've come from the, um, you've implemented uh, strip till and, and how that transitions working for you. And then we've been talking a lot about cover crops and, and kind of future planning that could, that could happen, but yeah, just give us a little perspective on, on how you're transitioning your, your crop production. right? Yeah. Um, so I guess to kind of our, our journey there is like as recent as 2014, we were all corn on corn, everything, as many uh, hog producers are, uh, owned a dominator, cross dominator chisel and the whole, the whole thing, you know, full tillage, conventional system in hydrus, usually in the spring, we never did much pollen hydrus, but, um, you know, the, the conventional model mm-hmm. and then, um, started working with a different, uh, company on the, on the input side. And then, um, they kind of got us into some different practices like band and nutrients. So we, you know, I had nitrogen in the planter, souped up the planter, made them all fancy, and then transitioned to some strip till. Um, you use that for a few years. Basically, we're still in hydrous and very conventional, just used strip till, I guess. So shank type, shank type deep tillage still using the um, ammonia bar as a strip till bar. Well, it was a strip till bar that it was, was equipped with ammonia. With ammonia. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so was at a, least then you got to where you're indexing your nutrients. Yep. Took a step up. Yep. There. That was a step. We took it that way. And then, um, you know, kind of run with that model for four or five years. Um, and then uh, I got involved with the operation in 2019 was my f- first crop kind of half managing of sorts. Uh, but 2020 and then this year was my first like front to back, develop the whole plan, you know, buy mm-hmm. inputs and the whole bit. And uh I'm, I would say the, the outlier within the family, like we talked about earlier, I kind of started the process with just the, I found that passion for this regenerative ag thing, whatever that means. It's such a broad term. Um, and it's fun how loosely it's thrown around now. Uh, but you know, I, I just, a, it's a popular word. A lot of yeah, people just grabbed on. Yeah. To I think cool. focusing, keeping your focus on the <laughs> principles and saying, right. okay, there's all sorts of there's a million ways to skin a cat. You just the principles are the principles. Try to figure out a way that fits within your operation. And so, like the last two years, I've, I've tried to get covers on every acre we farm um, in the fall. Uh, uh, we did wheat a couple uh, the last 
last year and then this year we got a little bit but more you're, you're next to the wisconsin border so it's you're too far north to plant cover crops hasn't anybody told you that yeah yeah that's what i hear you're not supposed to do that yeah i mean it's it's there's challenges you know it's but you know it's and i've stuff. been complaining about my short window right yeah it's like gosh he's two hours north of me. <laughs> yeah it's everyone has their challenges and that uh, that the principle that took me the longest to kind of wrap my head around the best was that that farming in your context idea of mm-hmm. this this is like you really got to understand your environment and then mm-hmm. and really understand the fact like even us two hours away there is mm-hmm. still some differences that oh, yeah. like that drive different results outcomes mm-hmm. and you can't say this works there you know and it's mm-hmm. so it's everyone's challenge to figure out what works in their area and i'm still very much working on that by the way it's like i've done fall cover crops but not the growth i'm looking for not the i'm not getting these i think magical 100 pounds of nitrogen grown yeah, i think every farmer is working on everything until they retire that's yeah just the nature yeah. of our of our bees absolutely that's good that's a great point um but yeah so it just you know things like that the cover crops i got the small grain involved and like this year i was very excited i, I did our our wheat and i did a 12-way cover mix after that and got this big field of flowers and stuff and growing working and, with the practical farmers iowa group yep. and leveraging that yep. you know and getting involved there might share with that uh, yeah kind of an innovative yes yeah, so that was a practical farmers people. group there and they did a uh, with adm pepsico i think was the company spearheading that and um this is a cost share you know throw a legume in the minimum threshold is just throw a legume in uh mm-hmm. after uh after your wheat to try and uh, offset some nitrogen for the following mm-hmm. corn crop. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's kind of two parted. They they'll help cost share on the actual cover crop seeded. And then there's a, a nitrogen rebate portion to it too. If you have reduced the following year, it just helps. Um, it's trying their, their goal is to try and help get a money maker, right? No, it just helps to offset a little bit yeah. of the cost to, to it, it. What entice you to try something different. Yeah. Right? Cause for me, my specific individual cases, I was going to do it anyways. And so I looked at PFIs, Sarah, okay. Turn down the volume right now. <laughs> so like I'm the type of, it's like, you know, when I, I just said, I'm going to do it anyways. So I looked at the PFI program. I was like, well, this is just, you know, it's great. I'll just take advantage of something that's existing, but the, the program I think is designed well to sure. try and, you know, lessen the blow or the, the idea of I'm spending these unnecessary dollars headed towards, you know, building my soil back, you know, yeah. that's how it's viewed. It's like, that's a complete waste of money cover crops. So yeah, might as well get some cost share out of it, you know? And, uh, you know, a lot of guys, if they only just throw a little bit of clover or something out there, they probably make money on the thing thing, but I got about, I put a real fancy mix out there. So I only got about half of my seed cost back, but I was fine with that. I said, I got a lot of diversity out here for a relatively cheap cost. So right. that program existing, I'll do it again next year. And I think it's a good thing. Um, long-term for guys to keep, dipping a toe in the water so back to we we, we went off to a tangent and the yeah. two of us have done it a lot over the last two days but <laughs> you you had the ammonia bar that was a strip till bar with ammonia and yep. then after that you transitioned to all planter nitrogen yep and and then you um uh just because that was so much fun um uh, you enjoyed towing the the train around the farm so much you decided to decouple the nitrogen from the planter mm-hmm. and, and you put that on with a uh, strip till strip freshener type yetter unit with airbags and yep. that's how your your nitrogen goes down and then your your planter follows in that line yeah so that's that's where you're at today right yeah. correct yeah so today our current system on corn is a is the, the yetter strip freshener units that lay the nitrogen down in the spring and banding down behind each shark tooth on the rear the yep. nitrogen and sulfur and, yep. and there's and, two liquid hoses on that and that's coming with our uh, nitrogen sulfur and, right. and some other uh, 
products in there too. And then uh, um, our bean program is all no-till that um, just plant right into Corn stubble. Stocks. Well, it's been rye. I, the, oh, yeah. Every acre. Are you planting green? Yes. Yep. Great. Planted green two years now. This year was, this past year was a, was better than the year before in terms of growth, but still not near where I want to be. You know, that's where the whole challenge of being north is. You, so you where are get you the growth. terminating your, your rye that's... Uh, before the beans are up or after the beans are up? Uh, before we're all non-GMO. So okay. we don't have a choice. Okay. And are uh, you rolling down that cover crop or are you just letting it melt down on its own? Yeah. It's not big enough. Um, we, okay. w- as far north as we are to get a hollow stem, you're looking at mm-hmm. mid, if it's and planted it, in the May. fall. Yeah. <laughs> if it's planted in the fall mm-hmm. timely, like, like October before October 15th, Mm-hmm. You might get a few more days before that, but I mean, if you're a normal, like our normal falls, I mean, mm-hmm. tail end of October, beginning of November or something, it ain't going to be very big in the spring and you really got to wait to let it grow. And that's where, you know, it's, I know that it's, it's one of those things like you, you can try it on a small scale, but you know, obviously don't, don't go do that on everything right away. And so what are some of the things you like about planting green with your soybeans? Uh, just planting green. Everything is just, just- I love it. It's, I mean, it's as it an operator, how it works as an operator, it just blows. You wouldn't think it would. You wouldn't, you wouldn't. And like, cause the, the stuff that gets all the buzz is the guys going into the taller than the cab greenery. Well, it's just cool. It's cool. It is cool. <laughs> that was the thing that excited me about it so much. Sorry. I looked at pictures like Russell Hedrick and down there in yeah. North Carolina and at one of those academies and he was talking about his cover and he had the I pictures. I was he, just staring at that screen. You got to put a reversing fan on some of those with all yeah, the, you know, yeah. pollen coming off of the ride. I know it. It, it's, but yeah, running the planter through green material, it's, it's a dream. It's when it's green, it, it just gets out of the way. It doesn't like wrap on stuff. And if we have wet spring. Yep. You float better. You float, you know, better. I even in just those short couple of years with limited growth, I've noticed out in the field observable it's firmer it's oh, yeah. you can you can float across there it's more mellow uh the trenches close so nicely and then yeah we terminate before emergence which if you're non-gmo you got to get it terminated before emergence we had a couple except yeah we had a couple uh we actually had 300 acres of corn last year get up before we got burned down on the on the rye we had just rye it wasn't a mix and i had a 20 pound stand of rye grow next to corn all year and you you didn't believe this, me as this, you okay this you didn't believe me but it me. happened i got this, this numbers it's crazy it's, it's probably it's probably an you know a fluke i tell everybody that i talked i said you know i think it's, it's probably a fluke, a fluke if it got observed though see you can't can't dismiss it so yeah. we need to figure so, out rather than just like and write it off you got to figure out okay why why did that happen in how could we duplicate that again? So yeah. Talk to, I mean, so you had the, the rye was up and you were saying it was about what, six, eight inches tall yeah. when the corn spiked. Yeah. Non-GMO corn. Right. So now how do we, how do we kill the rye? So it, there, I, I never killed it. I just was able to slow it down. Stun it. Right. Stun it. So basically, pre-emerge. right. My pre-emerge herbicide mix is uh, like I run generic. So I do a, a generic Lexar basically mix okay. so and then spiked a, with Paraquat a, a for the quote burn. Quote, dual with yeah. atrazine and, and yeah. Callisto and right. one other metropusine or something like that. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. And uh, so basically that plus the Paraquat burn down, I just had to pull the Paraquat out, run my normal chemistry for the pre. And that basically, and this, this was all mediated through ironically enough, like the, the, been working at the local co-op for 40 years and go in this direction. I didn't know if he'd be super open to some of these things. Cause he's worked with my dad forever and dad's been very conventional, but like, he was actually the best doing. Yeah. <laughs> he was actually, I called him freaking out. Cause I said, like, I just said, John, like, 
what am I doing? I got this corn's up. Like, what do we do? And he goes, yeah, that's not good. And then he goes, <laughs> then he goes, you know, he goes, it could be worse though. He goes, I've seen worse. He goes, let's, let's go look. And we went out in the field and he goes, you know, we're looking at, okay, sunlight getting down here is, you know, what, what, what does the corn look like? And it looked fine. Cause like I said, the planter had the nitrogen down with it. So that corn had an end source. It wasn't getting tied up. And then on top of that, I listened to, um, uh, David Kleinschmidt the the year before with uh, understanding ag he told me only spread 20 pounds because if you run into a nightmare scenario like this like this he goes <laughs> if you have an 80 pound standard rye you're tying up every bit of right. end in that system right. so he goes 20 pounds is, a, is something that the system can handle plus in my experience when you go to 20 pounds like that it takes longer to get growing vertically because it will spend more time tillering yeah okay so like when you're in an 80 pound environment you'll get maybe one to three tillers per seed where you're in a 20 pound environment, you're going to get that seven to eight tillers yeah. per seed. And it takes anywhere from three to five days per tiller. So essentially you kind of, you, you don't allow it to grow as tall. Yeah. You, you kind of delay that, that, that height extension by two weeks when you plant thinner. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and it's it weird too, like the corn, when we were observing and scouting it, it was, it was compared to the corn that had burned off properly burned off cover in the cover you know paraquat gets rid of residue like that and it's back to a, a bare field especially if it's only a thin stand right and um uh it, it grew like skinnier it elongated the stem more because it was trying to push for sunlight. for sunlight and that's but, that far infrared near infrared light ratio yeah and it talked about but you know it was different yeah. but it was like okay well it still looks good it was very green it doesn't look like it's struggling and we just kind of just okay let now, it go and i get just, a, i get a kick out of this you call it where we did it the right way um, and, but what was the yield results? Uh, so that was the thing too, is, uh, that, that field ended up being our best yielding. Field now, wait a minute. There. So you meant to say where I did it the wrong way <laughs> and sprayed it out. Yeah. I had, I had less yield. Yeah. Yeah. But, but to give context that to within that season, we really kind of like went cold Turkey because the financial position we were in that year mm -hmm. was not good. And, right. um, we really went cold Turkey, cut out a lot of stuff we were using. So the stuff on the conventional acres, I, it's not, it's, I still don't say it's a totally fair comparison because it wasn't what we were doing exactly before, but it was still very much the conventional model of just, you need to try that accident again. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so every time you make an accident on a farm, learn from the accident. And if there's something to learn there, and if you think, well, you know, we had some major changes that year. Well, within maybe you need to duplicate that again. How could you do that this coming year? duplicated another grass with the grass i i don't know <laughs> you know something to think about i mean it, it was kind of an interesting thing i wouldn't do it on the whole farm well know, yeah maybe 10 acres 20 acres somewhere and and take a look at it again maybe within your area or maybe you're not set up this year to do it you know if you go into next year with a 10 pound seeding rate or something like that to try mm -hmm. it'd be it'd be interesting yeah so um i mean because like the the cover program I run now the, for next year was uh, in front of my corn. I did a three-way mix of 20 pounds of, of uh, a grass. I think I did uh, triticale this year to I have zero rye before I went to triticale, just new species. Half a rye. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, so that's like a 20 pounds there and then a uh, few pounds of a couple legumes in there in front of the corn. And then the beans, I just run a straight heavy rate of rye because of them. What's the a common rate of rye? Like 80 pounds ish. I mean, that's mm -hmm. not, really heavy for rye, but that's, right. you know, for that's a cover crop, that's pretty dense. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, we, we try to run as thick of a stand because I know beans 
love to grow with another grass, um, right. plant green into that because rye for the weed control on beans. So that's the big extra cost with the 80 pounds and, and this other stuff going on and the seeding costs and, and, you know, running the turbo tiller and such. So you got some investment going mm-hmm. on here. What are some of the benefits that you see out there, both monetarily, but also you just know things that you can't quantify benefits. Yeah. So quantifiable and not quantifiable. Yeah. That's what the, like this, if you're going to go down the, the regenerative path, you have an interest in going that like there's certain things you're going to just have to accept in your head that you're gonna have to like have a certain level of dissonance going on of like, I can't put this to paper, but I right. believe it. And it comes down to a belief system. And that's what irritates a lot of people because they, they don't understand it or don't want to and don't believe it. So a portion of it is you just got to believe you're doing the right thing. And I would say like on the monetary side, it's just probably some weed control. Yes. Weed okay. control is a big one. I would say like rye, because when we did hemp in 2019, we just did an oat cover crop in front of hemp. And that was terminated and tilled like to death before we put this hemp in. And that oats, like it, when I send you that webinar, you'll see it was like three weeks of like a clean feel. And it was like all the sunlight in the world hitting this dirt. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's going on here? Like it's been three weeks. I mean, still, cause we're waiting with the, the, the hand holes, like day one, like, all right, we, we heard about these weeds. got to get in front of them. And we had a window there. We're like, well, dang, the hemp actually had time to get out and get started before the weeds came in. And you know, it wasn't a perfect feel by yeah. the end of the year, but it was enough of an observation where you realize, okay, there's weed control benefit to this. And so I've noticed it in the beans, granted non-GMO beans. I'm not running roundup mm-hmm. at any time of the year. I had some weedy bean fields last year. I did. And you know, anyone who lives around us diversity saw it. Yeah. <laughs> diversity, <laughs> diversity and a bruised ego is what that is. And, um, but no, it, 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 you know, I had some weedy beans, but, uh, it was still not terrible, you know, um, and what were some of the other, yields? um, doll- that you can put some dollars on, uh, benefits that you can see out of cover crops. <laughs> You got some weed control aspects, uh, ability, bigger windows to be able to plant. Yeah. It's, it's you can, you we haven't totally have experienced that yet because, um, um, just, we haven't had the conditions that okay. forced that yet. Cause like 2019, we weren't doing covers yet. And that was the crazy yeah. Yeah. 2020. So until we, I'm, I'm hoping to be set up for that next big, crazy spring to where like, Hey, okay. we're actually out there. Uh, just for, uh, the listeners out there, we're not wishing a 2019 no. like anybody again. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I think Indiana and Ohio got that this year and they, they don't need that. again. So. But my thoughts is I'm trying to be set up if that happens again, just yeah. think, but even I, just I think that's small, that's a great point. You have to be ready for those extremes. Yeah. Right. We're going to get them. Yeah. Cause when I see the pictures of the, the regen guys who share, look at this drought year, D4 drought. And I've got green corn that put an ear on and everyone else around me is complete loss on insurance. I see them pictures. I said, it's all Photoshop. Yeah. It's all Photoshop. <laughs> and, uh, I see that and I go, I want to be in that position the next time something like that happens in my area. And so have you noticed, uh, erosion wise runoff wise, yeah. and you've got some Hills and a portion of your yep. farm. Yeah, we've got our farm split there. between the real erosion between terraces. You notice that? Too? Yeah, I've noticed to start out, um, you know, only being a couple of years into it, it's I've still noticed on small levels, uh, less erosion and things like that. Yep. Um, some of our ground is so flat, you would you hardly notice it anyways. Um, but we do have some hills and stuff like that where we're seeing uh, it's just uh, two of our junkier farms. That was the interesting thing last year. Two of our junkiest farms, like it's they're the one we call the rock pile right and uh <laughs> that field <laughs> we did the rye with the corn thing that was one of those fields that didn't mm-hmm. die and we just slowed it down with the right that field did the best it's ever done that year it wasn't the best field of the whole farm mm-hmm. um that year but for that field it's it had beat its old the rock pile to flat black square 
I mean, that's uh, right. That's and that year, so. no, it's not, but to, you gotta, you gotta compare everything to itself mm-hmm. when it comes to farming, right. you know, on farms mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And, and that field, we're just like, oh. and I think that year, the, it's a little bit sandier uh, type soil. I, I don't know if we, we got normal rainfall that year. Um, and so that ground is better in those type of situations because it, it dries out so much faster than the flat stuff. And I, I, I think the rye had a big effect in just the structure or water holding capacity in, in a little bit sandier type, or don't necessarily totally know. Otherwise I just observed a, a very, very good yield on a field that, well, I think it had no business making that. That was the I weirdest know this thing. This is going to be an co- incredibly profound statement, but good fields are just inherently good. Yeah. I mean, you can't do much to them to make them better. They're just yeah. plain good. They're already at it's that. It's the marginal fields where we can have those dramatic increases. Yeah. And I think the good news is those fields have become marginal because of our historic farming practices. Yeah. You know, guess what? That rock pile, it was moldboard plowed. Yeah. It was probably for 50, 60 years yeah. before they finally gave up on it, <laughs> you know, because they'd sent everything down the river. Yeah. I'm just, just guessing, you know, I haven't seen the field, but that's just, that's just the nature of what agriculture has been, you know, and David talks about his dirt book there, right? Yeah. That's you farm it's it, my head's, it out and away you go. When I think of these things a lot, it's a way to restore it. It's a way yeah. to bring it back. Yeah. A big part of my why involved in this whole process, like why I even want to go a regenerative route was like, I hear the things that David says and I say, this is a foreseeable end. Why there's no other new place to move. Like this has happened before. Like we've watched all these other civilizations do the same thing. We very openly talk about the amount of runoff in the river every year. Like, it's not like it's Mm -hmm. a question of if there's runoff, it's just, and, the question and is how much and Jerry Hatfield for every ton of corn we raise, we send two or three tons. Those of statistics corn just when I, when those statistics hit me the first time I was heard them, I was like, what that's true. And like I verified it and I just said, well, wow, that's a, that's a problem. This has right. a, cause I think long-term and I, my biggest challenge individually is, is stopping and getting in the present and like breaking it down into its parts and like doing things. I'm always gravitating towards long-term. And so like, when I hear those facts, I go, well, there's, there's an end to this. I, I don't want to be the poor guy at the end of the, in our industry thing. I don't want to be the one stuck with it. In our industry today calls what we're doing sustainable. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense. And I don't want to beat on it too much, but it's just, it's not, it's, there's a lot of, we're being lied to. Yeah. You know? So anyway, going forward, what do you need to uh, be successful and where you want to get? What do I need? What's missing? What's missing? Um, What's needed in this space to help farmers get to reach? Oh, uh, uh, yeah. So that's where I just think more work. I, the, the conversations with this always start out with, and I, it kind of annoyed me to begin with when I started going to conferences and stuff. It always starts out with mindset discussions of like changing your paradigm and you, the way you see things like in Gabe's Academy and, and all these other ones I've gone to. And they always talk about mindset first. I'm like, why can't we just get to the nuts and bolts? Yeah, like, let's talk about changing paradigms. Yeah. West too. We're guilty. And it's, and it, it annoys me because I'm very anti-cliche personality. I don't like those things that make me uncomfortable i just i just generally whatever i like to talk about like substance things and and but it's so important is changing your mindset first like understanding like you just have to look at it different to begin with to to even begin to understand where you're headed and i just think it's like what's missing in not necessarily in regenerative ag is the enthusiasms there and the passion it's it's the getting rid of this like this mentality in ag that's like we think in absolutes like there's only 
there's only the regenerative route or the conventional route. And there isn't like a million different models in between that mesh between the two that could come to fruition. But what it's been painted as is you're either in the regenerative you're side all, or the conventional side. organic, zero input. Yeah. You know, it's the extremes. Or you're, yeah, complete yeah, commercial 25,000 acre, you know, is conventional. Yeah. Life is shades of gray. I've come to find out this is like every, there's no one word answer to like any question. I, as I grow up, I'm just like, cause it frustrates me. I want it sometimes an answer to just close off in a question and I never get satisfied. Cause I'm like, Oh, well, it depends is usually what the answer is. And so like with farming, I just think it just the, the mindset, you know, both sides of the equation I have to say, well, I, the, the, the regen guys can't just sit there and go, well, I'm, I'm the one doing the right thing. You need to do exactly what I'm doing. And then, you know, then on the other side, the, the conventional guys need to just, then we're fighting each other and the, and the enemy's not. Yeah. Saying. So like the capo model, something like my sister and I have talked about, we go, you know, this business has really ground our enthusiasm to raise hogs, like really grounded out. Like it's like, we, we take care of the people we pay and, and, you know, we all work together and try to do this. And, and we, we're not having as much fun as we used to. And it doesn't, you don't feel like the the worth or the why is there anymore. Cause you're just sending general pork out to the market, to the Smithfield to do whatever with, and um, just kind of what it is. But like on the CAFO model, who's to say you can't come up with the hybrid CAFO barn setup system where you can have aspects of regenerative grazing, like exposed you, to the ground. You produce feeders that are willing to go out or pasture-based feeder yeah genetics. yeah it's you know like because guess what there's a whole bunch of people because yeah, the way i look at this it, you know so much more about the history of farming than i do because i'm only just begun like my reading books about the past stuff. A very nice way of saying i'm old thank you <laughs> <laughs> well because everything i talk to you about you go oh yeah i read about that 30 years ago and i'm like dang it what does monty not know here he goes yeah that's old news i'm like well to me it's that's like a nice a way of saying i'm a know-it-all <laughs> And I'm just looking at it. To me, it feels like where we're at in ag is like this, there's like kind of a new frontier, so to speak of like this regenerative space. And like, it's, it's getting all this buzz, but then it's still like some of the guys who get the most attention don't have models that scale or, or are readily applicable. It really takes like a total dive into a new thing. Mm -hmm. The, the key to getting wide scale adoption is going to be, you don't have to completely transform yourself like a conventional guy, so to speak, to, to make some changes. Right. I think there's just like this whole open opportunity, level of opportunity involved in like coming up with new models or business ideas uh, involved in that space where you're melding the two of these worlds together and coming up with something that net net is better. Maybe it's not perfect. There's no right. such thing as the perfect system, but better than what was and i'll i'll conclude with this because we're, we're having a lot of fun today running long but that's okay i'm sure we got people still tuned in here but i think that's why it's important that we need to have instead of an absolutism approach to the labeling like organic is we need to have a relative uh scale approach to labeling to help the consumer understand the products we're making to where we have a one to 100 scale depending on the points that we're doing, what were we doing for animal welfare, carbon sequestration, nutrient density, uh, sustainability, diversification, community, blah, 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 blah. All of these value adds that regenerative offers, we get scored on. And if you're making a 20 point product, you get a 20 point based premium. If someone else is making an 80 point product, they get an 80 point because asking them to be a hundred or nothing, you're right won't happen yeah if we have some sort of relative scale in there i think that's that's going to help accomplish that mission and make it simple enough for a consumer to understand appreciate and enjoy yeah so absolutely but anyway i'm looking forward to seeing where you guys go you and your family and, and how you continue to adopt the 
the, the soil health principles. And, and I definitely appreciate the context. I don't think context is a principle. I think context is like a law. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. just, that overarches all, all right. five principles, you know? Yeah. And it's uh, the thing that grounds the rest of them. Absolutely. That's just a given, yeah. you know, but, um, no, I, I really appreciate it. It's been fun spending the last day with you and, and bouncing ideas off yeah. of different, different ideas Vice for your versa. operation. And, uh, yeah, thanks for being on the podcast. I really yeah. appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Any other thoughts before we leave? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. We'll just get in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just be rambling more. So you don't <laughs> no. want that. <laughs> That's excellent. Thank you, Ben. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, this conversation with Ben is so encouraging. The way his family approaches change and how they work together to communicate their individual desires and goals, well, that's just exciting. And communication is really a big part of the equation. Recognizing that there are different ways for different types of operations to implement practices that build resilience in today's agriculture, well, that's just exciting to hear. And as always, if you'd like to learn more about what we're doing to help growers implement soil health practices, check out our website at asn.farm. And there you can click on links to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. There's a lot of great things happening and always something to learn. Thanks for listening.